Liz Lamping here, PHRA's Executive Director. Welcome to PHRA's podcast, P4, People, Purpose, Passion, Pittsburgh. P4 is brought to you by our members and sponsors, Lattice and the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. We appreciate their support and we'll hear from them throughout the podcast, beginning with the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and the Center for Executive Education. Especially in times of uncertainty and challenge, America needs exceptional leaders to guide our healthcare institutions. The highly ranked executive MBA in healthcare at the Joseph M. Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh is designed to empower and enable leaders to think critically, make informed decisions, and inspire confidence. Forge your path into healthcare innovation by visiting business.pit.edu slash EMBA healthcare. In this episode, Pete Schramm, P4 host and founder of Lattice, and Sonia Lane Gartside, a dynamic and results-oriented global consultant, also known as PHRA's 2021 Leader of the Year, will discuss how to become a champion of people and how to treat others how they want to be treated. Right. Good morning, Sonia. We're excited to hear more about your background today. And first, want to say thank you for joining in on the P4 podcast, and also thank you for everything that you've done for the PHRA over the last few weeks, months, years. Uh, it's been great learning more about your backgrounds. And today we're gonna dig into more of who you are and kind of what HR means to you and take away a couple of tips of what we can do in our daily lives to better engage our people. So Sonia, thank you. Let's start off with who are you? Where are you from? What do people want to know about you? Well, thanks for having me. So who am I? I always like to start with the fact that I have an accent. So. I've been born, educated, and nurtured in the lovely island of Barbados. And this is where I put in my plugs for everyone to come down. It's a beautiful island. If you want to come see and sand, that's where you need to be. And so that shaped a lot of who I am. Um, I'm looking at the world through multiple lenses. Coming from a small island, we are often taught not only to look inward, but to also look out externally to see what's going on in the world. Um, Personally, I like to say, if you want to know anything about me, I, I, I like to use three words to describe me. I like to say I'm full of energy, enthusiasm, and determination. I like to say I'm a problem solver. You show me a challenge and I will confront it immediately and decisively. And I'm a wide achiever. I use all my talents that, uh, and skills that I have. So that makes me really love to see organizations and people and look at challenges and solve them. And so that's who I am. Oh, and I'm also scared of heights, but I love bungee jumping. So <laughs> I think it teaches me a lot jumping off of the tallest building or jumping off a bridge. Um, that teaches me a lot about life. So that's who I am, summarized. Interesting. Sonia, how in the world did you get connected to Liz Lamping and the PHRA if you're all the way over in Barbados? <laughs> you got to get a little bit deeper into that. Yeah, so I got married about 14 years ago. My husband works at the University of Pittsburgh. And I like to say of the two of us, I am more employable. He doesn't find that funny, but I deal with people and it doesn't matter where you go in the world. You know, you have people, you have people issues, there are leaders out there that need help. So when we looked at his job, he's a mathematician, professor of math and mine, we determined that I would be the one to move to Pittsburgh. And so I've been there since. Um, yeah, 14 years later, I'm still here. Wonderful. Well, we'll get some tips from you on the uh, trips planned to Barbados soon. Let's dig a little <laughs> yeah. bit more into 
your, your kind of roles over your professional career. And we, we know that you're much more employable than the math teacher, uh, but what has HR you know, kind of done in your life? Did you start off in HR? What did you wanna be whenever you were growing up, whenever you were little? What kind of schooling did you go through? Walk us through that. Yeah, um, so I did my undergree, under, undergraduate degree in um, business management. And so I had an organization development professor and that sparked my, how should I say, interest in people and how we ensure they thrive in organizations. And when I finished that course, she said, when you graduate and you're looking for a job, come see me. And so, <laughs> as you know, when you're graduating and you're like, oh, I need a job. And I remember my um, OD professor said, come see her. So I went and see her. I went and saw her and, and she hired me. And that's where it started out in people, because what she did was she, throughout the Caribbean, would undertake needs analysis, would undertake a lot of HR projects and organizational development projects about how do we get the best out of people and how do we ensure that leaders are equipped to um, deal with the challenges that are coming around. And so under her, I um, that's how I got introduced to the role. So, you know, it, it wasn't... You know, when you don't know where you want to go, anywhere will take you there. And so that's how I ended up here. It was this was the path that was revealed to me. And so I took it and I never looked back. So this is something that I've always worked in. Um, after her, she went to the University of the West Indies, which is where I went to. So I have a very deep background in higher education and educating executives and getting organizations to really thrive through people. And so that's something that I've always worked in. And I've always loved it. So I've never left, left it. So you've been around the HR space, the people space, working with individuals, what makes them tick, what gets them fired up, what not to do. The world's changed a lot over the last two years. What is the top HR trend that you're seeing uh, in today's mm -hmm. world? Um, getting the right people, hiring the right people as quickly as possible and getting them onboarded in a thorough way that prepares them for success. I think that's still the number one um, tip that is, and it, I think it stems from people are now beginning to understand that when you, when you invest in people, that it will pay off, but investment means an upfront effort being extended. And oftentimes leaders don't want to make that upfront investment. And so they put pressure on HR. I need it now. I need it now. Rather than building that funnel, building that pipeline, building the, the processes and practices that will ensure that when you want to hire somebody, you get, you get the right person as quickly as possible. I think that's the number one trend that is still very difficult and it's still something that we are trained to um, understand. Just as soon as you think you have it figured out, the world changes. And so you have to adapt and pivot as needed. And so I think that's the number one trend that we're still working with. People are our most important asset. There's that cartoon. I don't know if you've seen it before, uh, but the CEO says, oh my gosh, we have to invest in our people. And the CFO says, oh no, that's going to take too much money. We can't do that. Uh, what happens if they leave? And then the CEO comes back and says, what happens if we don't invest in them and they stay? And so what mm -hmm. you just shared really brings that uh, thought to the front of my mind, because our, when our people are more engaged, 
especially from that, that onboarding process. Did you know they're 82 per, it increases first year retention by 82% whenever we have some kind of a formal onboarding process, a little bit more structure, a little bit more uh, meat there to help guide them through everything, get them up to speed, like you said, as soon as possible. So mm-hmm. I agree with you so, so much. I think many of the people listening uh, will also. Okay, so the, the next one, Whenever we think about this, uh, you know, pandemic life, we're in a, a remote world, a hybrid mm-hmm. world. Some people are starting to go back into the office. Some leaders are wishing more individuals would go back to the office sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless, there's this, you know, piece of a remote culture that's out there and it's hit, you know, all organizations, people of all sizes. Mm-hmm. What does remote culture mean to you? Uh, and how do we tie that into the future of work? Well, remote culture to me is about connection. Um, it is reducing the barrier that's in place. So we know ultimately the best way to build trust, the best way to collaborate is still face-to-face. Um, but you can do it really well in a remote world if you do it, if you plan for it, if you build the culture, if you really focus on it. And so remote work is is reducing that barrier that's in place. And so it's about all about connection. How do you help people to connect? So it's about breaking down the barriers. It's about making time. It's it's about turning on your camera. It's about making time for people to connect and get to know each other. It's about helping people to prioritize so that they can um, really reduce burnout and get the space to know and learn and understand each other in a virtual world. And that takes a deliberate effort. It means that your leaders need to be trained on how to be virtual, a, a really good remote leader, a virtual leader. It means that you have to implement the basics of what a remote culture needs in order to, to, you know, to, to connect. It means that you have to really make the space to, uh, so what I like to say to people to um to really ensure that people get to know each other so they can trust each other, so they can work together. And um, organizations often think sometimes, leaders, that, hey, you just throw people together remotely and it should work just like we are face-to-face or they just complain it doesn't work face-to-face and they don't realize you have to craft that world and really shape it with some processes and practices and support so that you can get the same outcome as where people um, are face-to-face. It's harder, but it can be done. Tony, I had a background in uh, engineering and Lean Six Sigma. So how do we Mm -hmm. do more with less? And the idea around that is uh, reduced variances in the process, reduced waste, so then you can scale and repeat and repeat. And as you talk about, uh, you know, put together that recipe for success and then copy and paste, copy and paste. Do you have a couple of tips that people might be able to put into into practice whenever it comes to that initial onboarding and getting people up to speed ASAP, that connection piece? and that trust. Mm-hmm. I agree that, you know, sometimes we need to put some more tools in the toolboxes of our leaders. Just because mm-hmm. they have that title or they have some direct reports doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to, to lead. Maybe we need some refreshers over time. Uh, but any tips that you could share for anybody that's listening of, you know, things that we could try uh, to increase that connection uh, and build more of the trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, 
you have to turn on your camera. I'm not suggesting it. And you have to determine what number would say, as long as I, I like to say to um, leaders, have a, a number that says, as long as we're six people or less, we turn our cameras on. If we're, you know, six or more, you can you can turn off your camera. But as long as it's a smaller group and it can be intimate, you turn on your camera because it does make a difference. There are people that I work with that I have never met in person, and we have a great relationship. So that it, and and people who have finally met in person, and it's like, oh, we know each other so well, and it's because we always turn our camera on. And conversely, I've worked in organizations, uh, projects where people never turn their camera on, and you can see there's a dis, the miscommunication increases. There's a disconnect. People are less likely to trust. They 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 take things wrong because they don't know the person. So that's the first one. Turn on your camera. The second tip that I always like to say to people is to get ensure that your employees have the right tools to um to 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 navigate this online world, whether it's a computer, whether it's a good um you, if you can give them a don um a, a, assign them some money to buy the right chair or the right table because we're in in people's lives and you know I've heard um leaders say I'm tired of seeing people's beds well hello everyone doesn't have a full you know it it room house in which to to dedicate that time but if you can give them a donation so they can construct a particular space just for them then that's important if you can another thing I like to say to people is you have to invest the time in the basics which is ensure that people are not going back to back zoom meetings like you give them you, you give them a five you know you, if it's a 30 minute meeting you end at the 25th minute so that you give them some space and some time invest the first five minute minutes of every meeting in some connection activity where you, people start slowly but surely get to know each other and get to learn about each other um, ensure that you have meetings that are not just about work, where you just have people come together to share success stories, to hang out, to get to share what they're going through. Um, you know, it could be a 30-minute um, monthly meeting or weekly meeting where people just come together and get to know each other and get to know the leader. These sorts of things in a really pressed, hectic world, if you can find the time to do that, the in investing in those pays tremendous dividends and I know people think well I don't have time and I like to say make the time because you're paying a price when you don't do these things when people don't get to know each other and get to trust and understand each other you're paying a price that you don't necessarily see at the beginning but you feel it at the end of the year when you have not accomplished your goals when your team is just not connected with each other so these little teeny stats they make big impacts in how you um, are able to navigate and pivot and adapt and be innovative and creative in this world that we're living in. I love it. I'm getting goosebumps over here. We'll have to dig into <laughs> Lattice a little bit more later uh, because everything that you're talking about, yes, that's a problem. Yes, that's a problem. How can we address that? How can we add more value without adding more time? Because whenever mm -hmm. we say, hey, HR, let's do this, let's do this, let's do that oh my gosh, I'm already so strained. I'm spread so thin. We're already running around trying to take care of everybody. Please don't put another thing on my plate. So how can we do more with less? Thinking back to that agile principles and lean concepts. So, Sonia, re rewind real quick. What are you doing today? What's your job? What's your role today? Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Obviously you're wise and you get it, uh, but what are, what are you doing today? 
Well, I have my own consulting firm, um, SoniaGartside.com. And as I say to people, I am a master trainer. I am a change manager. I am an executive coach. I am a strategist. I'm a DEI consultant. I am an author. And that may sound like a lot, but what it all revolves around is people. Those are all the areas that I need to access if I am going to partner with leaders to ensure that they get the best from their people and they create an environment in which their people can thrive so they can accomplish their goals together. And so those are all the areas, you know, like I go back to my organizational development professor when I first started with her. It was all about how do we deal with leaders? And then it started, well, in order to be a great leader today, you need to know about change. And so it's all about change management as well. You add that. And then it's you really have to be strategic. You have some, have some strategic visioning. You have to have some strategic thinking. So we add strategy. In today's world, it's all about the diversity that is needed to ensure that your environment is rich and that you're getting as many ideas as possible coming from many different lenses. And so that's where the, the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion comes into where you want to include people and remove barriers because if you're going to do more with less you need to have the highest quality ingredients right and the highest quality people and they're not all going to look the same and so you have to really understand how to navigate them and so of course it comes to training I know there are certain skills that you have to build and coaching is essential because training is all about change behavior and when you combine training and coaching, that is how you get change behavior. Training often leads to, to, to increased knowledge. So you know better, but you don't always know how to do better, how to apply the knowledge. And that's where coaching comes in. And then, of course, my book is Workplace um, Anxiety, How to Refuel and Re-Engage, because we're in a world right now that is all about your mental health. And when you talk about leaders, they have to do so much more with less and there's a lot of stress and my book is about you're not stressed the stressors in your life are not the problem is that you're not actively choosing what is essential or what needs to be prioritized to get where you need to go and so in a when you add on to you play you also have to take off when you learn you have to unlearn and so that's what my book is all about so they may seem like a lot of different things but they're all related to people because I am ultimately a champion of people and their ideas. Wow. So I, I'm seeing more of the energy come out, the enthusiasm, uh, <laughs> the problem solver. Now, whenever you talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, I, I like to add in belonging as well, driving down burnout. Uh, I agree. It's a huge piece of it. And DEI mm -hmm. is so much more than what you see uh, on the outside, but it's people on the inside right? Diversity mm -hmm. of backgrounds, of cultures, of religions, race, sex, everything, and also mm -hmm. experiences. How do we bring yes. the diversity of experiences in the room? Because it's our differences that bring us together. And whenever we can have so many different concepts and bright minds coming together, we unlock doors and open up opportunities that we didn't even know existed. So let's dig a little bit deeper into the DEI piece and how can we all positively influence that? Mm -hmm. I think that the one thing I like to say to people about diversity, equity, and inclusion is number one, it's the benefit every single person in the organization. And, and I really love that you brought in that diversity is more than just race, 
and, and gender and ethnicity, et cetera, because the big ones, those are important too. And we really want to do that, which is why the equity is so important to remove barriers so that you're not inadvertently excluding people that you need on your team. So the most important thing for that diversity, I say, is that if you understand the platinum rule, we, we are all raised in the, with the golden rule, treat others the way you would want to be treated. But in today's world where there's so much diversity and you don't know necessarily how people are, the platinum rule, which is you treat others the way they want to be treated, that is so important. Because what that does is give you an understanding that is not all about you. You are an essential piece of the, um, the, the relationship, but you're not the only piece. And so you have to get to know other people how they you need to leave space to understand where other people are coming from, what their lens are. You have to leave space to understand that you are sitting in a, in a boardroom next to some person or wherever you sit. It doesn't necessarily have to be a boardroom. It can be on the manufacturing floor. It can be wherever. What you are seeing in your lens, that there's some person who has a completely different lens. And even though you don't understand it or don't know about it, it is absolutely valid, just like yours. And as long as you make room for those two, not that you are necessarily wrong, but you both have to have that give and take, that, that need to work. I say a lot about win-win, that you have to work with each other to figure out how do we make room so that we have a win-win relationship that is going, because that's always better for the organization. Win-lose, lose, that doesn't work. So when you have that win-win and you're thinking, okay, I see this world this way, and I understand that. There's another way that I have no idea what it, <laughs> I've never heard about it before, but I have to resist that human instinct to believe that just because I've never seen it, smelt it, felt it, that it's not valid or it's not real. I have to acknowledge that my lens doesn't allow me to see that. So I need to be open and I need to listen so that I understand how to craft that win-win solution for all of us. And so I think that if everyone understands that guiding principle, then we will have less barriers in place. We will have less um, projects that fail. We will have more diversity. We will have more understanding and the organization will be better. You will feel less burden, less stress, and less like you're just trying to claw your way you know, um, through life. You will get the support and the doing more with less if you adopt that approach. I, I, I love it. I've never oh, heard of the role before. So that's a, another one for me to put uh, in, into my toolbox. Very, very mm -hmm. cool. Treat others the way they want to be treated. Okay, let's take it one step further. How I, I love what you said about the first couple of moments of a conversation, right? A one-on-one. -on -one. How do you build that trust? Meet them where they are and just connect. It doesn't always mm -hmm. have to be about work. So you brought up trust a couple of times. So mm -hmm. for example, you and I are different, right? Male, female, white, black, different de generations. What mm -hmm. are some of those initial questions that we might ask one another in the uh, first conversation that we have to build some of that trust, build some of the rapport and connect with the other person? What are some of those first things that we can ask or, or say? You can prescribe what you can ask for, you can say, but I would say just be open. And if you are in a leadership position, then you'll be vulnerable first, I like to say. Whoever has the most power in the room, and oftentimes we don't even know when we have power. 
So just be a little bit more cognizant about that, whether I have the power and just be vulnerable first. So be more open to getting to understand and to learn each other. It's like I'm an extrovert when I'm in the working environment. And oftentimes I will go into an organization and I'm uh, lots of introverts. And if I am not aware that because I talk immediately, it hits my brain, I can speak it. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what I, I think aloud that I can dominate the room of introverts who think internally and then speak. And so I'm always conscious of, okay, let me just leave space so that they get an opportunity to say what they're thinking. If I'm about to talk and I hear some, and some person just, you know, uh, um, aborts an attempt to speak, I will stop speaking and I will say, I think you're about to say something. And I will invite the um for them to and I would say sure please speak you know I, I want to hear what you're saying and that those little things where where somebody is meeting you for the first time and they get a sense that you're open because you're deliberately trying to be open they get a sense that what they say matters and that you will actually give them space to listen even if you don't agree with them you know because and, and I understand that emotionally that's a difficult thing in the world where uh, we are very intolerant and the life we live is so fast and there's so much um, information coming at us that our tolerance level just goes right down. You know, if you watch a movie from the 1970s, you will, and you watch a movie from today's world, in, in the first five seconds, there's, there's so much happening, bam, bam, bam. And when you go back to 1970, it's like, and over in, you're trying to figure out what's happening. It's so small. And it just shows you how our tolerance, our attention span has just lessened over time. And so if you want to build trust, first of all, you're going with that intention. Um, I want to build trust. So people say to me, I just don't like small talk. Well, small talk is people's way of trying to figure out, will we like each other? Will you, will you accept me? Will we get along? So take, you know, make the patience for that small talk, they're talking about the weather, but really, truly, what they're trying to do is, you know, as we say back home, suss you up to see, will you be some person I like? So recognize what that is for and lean into it and be open with people. And so it's not, and, and they will guide you on what to ask. They will tell you what they need um, if you just pay attention and listen. And conversely, we hope that they will do the same for you that they will be open, they will invite you, and they will, and that's how you, you really start to build relationships. There are some people who are more private than others. So if you first meet them, it's just small talk, you know, surface level. There are some people you meet them and you're, you're, you're telling them things that you haven't told your best friend <laughs> because they seem open and there's a connection. So go with the flow and understand that someone who's private doesn't necessarily doesn't mean that you did something wrong. It's just, that's who they are. And so you treat them the way they want to be treated. Back to the platinum role. Of yes. course. Today we have a couple of different generations in the workplace and mm -hmm. some people are able to build rapport and establish those connections a little bit easier in this remote mm -hmm. environment uh, you know, more senior individuals may not, uh, may, may yes or may no, uh, you know, adopt to building that relationship as quickly as easily. And perhaps in your coaching practice, you've had to, you know, give a little bit of feedback, right? So some nudges, some tips, do this, don't do that. Uh, whenever it comes to this connection and being open and trust. Mm -hmm. So the question yeah. is, what's one tip 
uh, for giving and receiving constructive feedback? So giving them constructive feedback, the one tip I say to people is that you have to make deposits into people. And when I say deposits into people, which is recognizing when you see them do well, you acknowledge it, recognizing their contributions, recognizing the great things that they have. I, I have people that will say, oh my goodness, you know, because we are so different, even the way he chews annoys me. <laughs> And you have to say to people, well, I want you to go away and find one thing about that, your leader or your um, direct report that you like. You can find one thing and start there. Because the ultimate aim is to give constructive feedback to some person. You have to have an established relationship with them where they believe that you have their best interests at heart, where they believe that you want them to succeed. Because once some person believes you have their best interests at heart, that you want them to succeed, you can tell them anything. They will listen because they know you're not tearing them down. They know you're not just criticizing them. Or as the young people do, they still say this, that you're not just being a hater on the sideline. I don't know if young people still say that. But yes, that they understand that you just are giving them feedback that is critical for them to get better. And then, of course, we go into the, the skill set of how do you give feedback? You remove, you know, it's, it's really direct. It's really about the behavior and it's not about the person. So you don't say you're always late. You say you have been late to three meetings. I'm just wondering if there's something that I can do to help. Is there a problem? Is there an issue? Do you want to talk about it? You know, those are the, it, obviously you go into to the, the, the best way to um, and there are prescribed best ways in which to, to give constructive feedback, but it all starts with, does this person understand that I have their best interests at heart? Because if they do not, then you're pouring into a full cup. And you know, if the cup is already filled with water and you're pouring it, it's just going to roll over and they're not going to take it in and they're going to be resistant and defensive. And so that's where you have to ask yourself, Sometimes I go, to, I go through the world and I want to give good feedback and then I have to ask myself, well, have I made any deposits into this person? And if I have not, then I do not give the feedback because I know that it will not help the situation. And if I don't know the person and I have not made any deposits, but I am required because as a leader, um, I still have to give you feedback, then the first thing I want to do is just establish some trust. I may have to be explicit. I may have to say, for example, Pete, I know you and I don't know each other as well as we probably should. I know that I haven't given you feedback on what you're doing well, but let me be explicit with you and let you know that I have your best interests at heart, that I want you to succeed. So what I am about to tell you is based on that. That's my intention. And we say that a lot in DEI, be explicit with your intentions so that when people feel the impact of your actions and your words, they have something to grab onto, to say, okay, and you can say to me, Sonia, okay, I know that you have that intention to be, to, to, to really help me, but it doesn't feel like it. You, you, you sound a little bit harsh. And then I will respond because I'm, I'm open to you. I'm like, okay, but let me figure out a way to say that better because I really don't want you to feel, get demotivated. I, don't, I really don't want you to feel criticized, which is basically where you just tell someone what they did wrong. You're bad. You're a bad person. Constructive feedback is really saying, here's what was done that wasn't the best or was wrong. Let's work together to figure out how we can get it better. 
And sometimes people are blindsided by the first and don't recognize there's an invitation to the second. In, a, in other words, you may have screwed up, but you are not a screw up. Too many people give feedback where they say, people come away thinking I am a screw up, as opposed to I just screwed up, but I am not a screw up. So I hope that helps um, our listeners out there yeah, to definitely. learn a little bit more about it. Setting some of those expectations early and often. Hey, here's what we're trying to accomplish. Agree, agree. Yes, yes, of course. And then to always put in, and you, you, you did mention this as you were talking through the story, but I don't think you specifically called it out, to you know, kind of do a sandwich where you have some good, you have some improvement, you have some good. So it's never all bad. And those were some of the pieces that I picked up. Because if you go in and I'm just yelling at somebody, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? No, no, no. I, I say to people, don't give me the salami technique where I'm going to give. I want you to, when you see good, give good. So that's where you invest in your people. I keep saying it. We lead too many leaders, um, which is where HR needs to make this clear. Too many leaders approach the building of relationships with their team, which is essential as, an attra- as a transaction, as something they just, you know, it's an investment. So that means you're going to have to put in a lot of effort in the beginning. And so one of the things that you want to see is don't you don't need a sandwich technique because you are constantly letting people know when they're doing good. And so if I am making a deposit into you, so let me be clear, a deposit is I recognize when people do good, when they, they, they've done a report. And I know and the worst, the worst thing is this is what they're being paid for. You don't want people to come to work and the only reason they're there is because of a paycheck. That is, you are not building a team. You're building a bunch of people you pay. There are people, and that, that is why some people have people on their team. They, they have people on their work group, but they're not a member of their team. They're just being paid. What you want is, a, is, is, is people buying into that leadership and working together. And so you have to invest the time to let people know when they do good. So if I make constant deposits, which is I recognize when you're doing something well, you always do your report so well. I love, you know, I walk in and, 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 and the, the, the person, who, um, the person who, who opens the door for, for everyone who comes into the building, you're always on time. I appreciate that. You always, you're here, you're reliable, and that is so important to making a, a, a great first impression when customers come in. And you know, where, where you talk a moment of truth, a moment is truth is when a, a, a customer touches your organization, whether it's when they get out of the, when they're walking into the building and suppose person opens the door and say, welcome, or you call and whoever answers the phone, that's the most, that's the moment of truth, the first touch. Is it a good one or is it a bad one? And so you're recognizing these things so that when you have to tell some person, hey, you didn't do this the way I know you can. You don't have to start off with it's great because you already started telling people there. And they're very interesting because they know, hey, you tell me when I'm good. So let me listen because you know, I know that you want my best in hand. So yes, that's what I mean there. And thank you for giving me the time to um, expand on that. I appreciate it. You opened my eyes up to a different perspective and it's beginning with the end in mind. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we want to be able, I think there's a, a, a certain book <laughs> mm-hmm. that you've, you've touched on a couple of times and I have, I have the number below my, below the desk over here. Uh, but whenever we get to the book recommendation piece, I bet that's one of the ones uh, that, that, that you recommend. Um, it, and it can be uncomfortable at first, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of like getting back into working out. Oh, my muscles are sore 
but it being, you know, listening and being genuine and making those positive deposits over time early and often, I, I, I think is huge. So Sonia, yeah. I want to say thank you. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I wanted to say, cause you touched on something that's very, very important, the discomfort. And you have to learn to lean into that discomfort and don't shy away from it. When you shy away from the discomfort, it's get comfortable being uncomfortable and awkward with people because that's our vulnerability, that's our authenticity that people appreciate. You know, you can call it out. I feel really awkward about this right now. People, that tells people you're real and they appreciate it because they know they may often feel the same thing, but they're experiencing it physically. And, you know, I talk a lot about the, the stress and the anxiety at work. And it's because people are trying to avoid feeling uncomfortable. You cannot go through life if you're doing it well at work and not be in discomfort at sometimes. Just get comfortable with that. So I just wanted to emphasize that because you, you did make a great point. There. Even if you're scared of heights and you still like bungee jumping, perhaps something along those lines, maybe. <laughs> yes, you know you you know why I go bungee jumping, right? Because it teaches me that great things happen when you get past that fear or that discomfort and just let go and be open to the experience. And it's a very not many people who go bungee jumping, but it, it really is a quick way. You know, I like efficiency a lot. You know, as you know, one person says, "Be you." Stephen Colby says. You're effective with things, you're efficient with things and effective with people. And uh, we're always trying to apply efficiency to people and it's what gets us into trouble. But you're absolutely right. It's the most efficient way of teaching myself that this, I, can, I, I can go through discomfort and emerge much more um, empowered than before. Empowerment. Yeah. I, I love <laughs> it. So are you telling me, Sonia, that these good things that we do outside of work can influence and positively impact in work and vice versa? Do good at work, yeah. build trust, build relationships, and it helps us in work, out of work. And it's almost like win, win, win. I win, you win, organization wins. Hold on yes, a community <laughs> win. Yes, that's it. And a lot of times, like when I'm when I'm doing these sessions with people, they always go, "My goodness, this is this will help me with my children. This will help me with my husband." I'm like, "Yes, these are skills that you can be applied so that you can be a good um, leader, a good team member, which helps the organization, which helps the community, which ultimately helps the world. It's the individual, the collective impact." is really so great. And often in organizations, people don't understand how they're little, you know, like, who am I? I don't have that much. Yes, you do. So you do your little part. I do my little part. And as you say, collectively, we can make a big difference. Love that. Wonderful. As we get closer to wrapping up, we're going to go through another four or five quick questions. You get 10 to 15 seconds to respond, putting that efficiency mm -hmm. to use here. Uh, <laughs> so just whatever comes to mind, uh, we're going to off, off, offer these. You ready? Mm -hmm. So book recommendation for anybody after Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, what are you going to recommend? <laughs> um, Dare to Lead by Brené Brown. Wonderful. If you could give your younger self advice, what would that be? The focus needs to be on building relationships. Don't look for jobs. Look for good leaders. Look to build relationships. Okay. If there was one skill or uh, kind of technical certification or class, something like that, that you wish you would have added to your toolbox sooner? What's one thing that you wish you would have learned sooner in your career? Change management, because life is all about change. Innovation is change. Creativity is change. 
um, agility is change. So I, I would have done one. If you can send us some information after this for what is change management, I'd love to read it. And I bet everybody else would love to read it as well. So check the, the, the notes uh, for that one. Okay. How can the PHRA network help you and your company? Um, by continuing to provide opportunities for connection, because I think that that's how we come together to really solve issues. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then three names of people that you might nominate uh, to be future guests on the podcast. Individuals that you'd love to hear their story heard, their perspective on everything that we talked about, bringing more uh, you know, insights and pro- diversity of uh, ideas to this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say Alisa Spectra Angelo from Compass Business Solutions. I think she has a wealth of knowledge and experience that would really benefit the community. I would say Deborah Holland um, from DLJ Associates. Um, I think that she would give you a really um, authentic, um, having been in HR for so many years and see the good, the bad, and everything would give us a realistic joke as to what is needed for HR. And I would be very interested in hearing from Chanel DeVito. I, I, I would love to hear, I've met her before and I think that she's, she's, she's knowledgeable and I would love to actually watch, um, listen to a podcast with her and hear what she has to say. So that last one is for me. <laughs> the previous two is for the community. <laughs> There's an I in community, so that, that trades, it's all right. <laughs> Yeah, she will be great. I would love to hear from her. Yeah. And I I bet you that might be a win, 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 win. We might might have a star, (laughs) more more than just one one line or even a triangle. So, Sonia, that's all we have for today. Thank you again so much uh, for your time, for your insights. Some of the, you know, high level takeaways is, you know, onboarding is so crucial. Connections, Mm -hmm. connections, connections, bullet point two, three, and four, trust. Without mm-hmm. trust in that foundation, we can't build up from there. Uh, constantly letting other people know how they're doing and depositing those uh, tidbits of, of, of great feedback. Be explicit with your intentions and you know, be, in, uh, be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Lean into that discomfort so that you can unlock that collective impact over time and listen. Listen, 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 so that you can be open and have the best interests of the other person at heart. And all the while, that's most successful and it's most possible to do whenever you're in a state of vulnerability and you're showing that, hey, I'm here and I care about you. And together, whenever you and I care about one another, you win, I win, and our organization wins. Any final thought as we close out, Sonia? Oh, thank you for that recap. It was brilliant. <laughs> you need to say that to me so that I can just say, here's what <laughs> we need to do at organizations today. So I want to thank you all very much. And I just want to say that the world needs good HR people out there doing um, their job. They need a seat at the table with the CEO because um, resources, your human resources are so important. You cannot treat them like you treat your car, your computers, your building. It's a different concept. So um, HR is essential and vital to our very success as an organization. So I'm really happy that we're doing something like this to share knowledge. In a world where businesses are coming to terms with the demands of employee choice, solutions to improve workplace culture are crucial. 
businesses of all sizes are doing everything they can to attract and retain top talent during this unprecedented time. Connection to the team, a sense of belonging, and a feeling of purpose rank high in the needs of today's work-from-anywhere society. Sound familiar? At Lattice, we understand the importance team building and positive employee-employer relationships have on the success of a workplace. Done well, top-down and peer-to-peer knowledge sharing can unlock new levels of productivity and profitability to create a culture of cohesive collaboration. Ongoing high-quality connections reduce burnout and mitigate mental health issues, more important now than ever with social isolation on the rise. Lattice is a tool to make internal employee engagement easier and much more impactful for the entire organization. Lattice is a proven, secure workplace solution that is easy to implement for organizations of all sizes. So what are you waiting for? Let's Lattice. The PHRA P4 podcast was created to help build HR readers through discussions with thought and business leaders on the most critical success factor of any business, its people. If you enjoy an episode, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast and providing us a rating. We would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode, tag PHRA, and share it with your followers. Until next time, thank you for watching and thank you for listening.